0: Hello, my friends, and welcome to another episode of the Essential Strength Podcast. This podcast is an exploration of strength in its many forms, from physical to mental, intellectual to spiritual. I am your host, David Skolnick, and it is my job to bring in people from the health and fitness industries as well as law enforcement, research scientists, musicians, entrepreneurs, and more, and discover how strength impacts their lives, their work, and their outlook on the world. It is my belief that strength is a truly essential trait, and this show is out to prove it. So if you want to learn how to get strong, you're in the right place. This week's episode is supported by our friends at Strong Coffee. Strong Coffee is a brand for people who aspire to reach their potential, people who love coffee, and people who love getting things done. I count myself as one of these people. Strong Coffee brings a specialty coffee experience to consumers in a healthy, done-for-you, pre-mixed powder that includes instant organic coffee, grass-fed collagen protein, and MCT oil powder to fuel my body and my mind for hours, which allows me to spend more time and more energy getting things done. If coffee is one of your daily essentials, do yourself a favor and check out strongcoffee.com where you can save 15% on every purchase with the code ESSENTIAL. Our guest this week is Danny Matranga. Danny is one of the most educated fitness professionals I know, and also one of the best at taking what he's learned and making it actionable for his clients and his community. Danny is the owner of the core coaching method and host of the dynamic dialogue podcast. In today's conversation, Danny and I talk about the key elements he wants every client to understand about training, the differences between the ideas of a best diet versus best dietary practices. We talk about what Danny sees as the biggest scam in the fitness industry And we also talk about the potentially bleak inevitability that we will all eventually have to prioritize our health. As you listen to this conversation, I think you'll get a sense as to why Danny has cultivated such an active following on social media and why his podcast continues to climb the charts in the fitness industry. Danny knows how to tell a story that is both personal and relatable, and he's not afraid to take a position on an issue. Before we step into the conversation with Danny, Let's make sure each of you listening has your action plan for this week. This week, I want to focus on a single statement that Danny made during our conversation. That statement is, and I quote, Someone else making progress faster than you is not a personal failure. I needed to hear that. I actually need to hear that multiple times a week, to be honest. I consistently fall victim to this comparison trap. I create imaginary scoreboards where it's me versus other people in the gym, me versus other people with podcasts, other people working in the fitness education industry, other physical therapists. And while I'm a firm believer in the virtues of competition, which is something I talked with uh, our guest Roman Rodriguez on episode 82 at length about, Until the playing field is leveled, it's really not competition, it's just comparison. So, with that being said, here is the action I want each of you listening to take this week. I want you to identify one or two areas of your personal or professional life where you find yourself feeling like a failure because you aren't where someone else is. And I want you to make time to compare more than just your current situation versus their current situation but instead to consider your path to where you are versus their path, to compare your current trajectory versus theirs, your goals versus theirs, your definition of success versus theirs. You might actually need to have a conversation with this person or these people who you think are beating you. I can't guarantee what you'll discover during this process, but I do know that you'll be taking steps towards comparing apples to apples instead of apples to oranges. And that alone will help you see that you are not a failure. All right, now that you have your action plan for the week, let's get into it. This is episode 88 of the Essential Strength Podcast with Danny Matranga. All right, Danny, good morning. Welcome to the Essential Strength Podcast. Nice to reconnect after, guys, okay, been like 18 months since I've moved out of California and, uh, Left the greatest gym in the state of saying strength. Um, so yeah, this is going to be fun. Yeah, man, I'm looking forward to it. Excited to chat. Nice to see your face again. Let's do this. Let me hit you with the opening question, and then we'll get into some uh, Danny-specific, you know, conversations. So, for you, as with each guest on the show, what is your personal definition of strength?
1: Yeah. So I think that you know
0: you probably get some
1: relatively fitness specific answers that bleed into non specific or non fitness specific answers, but the the word I often come back to when I think about strength is resilience, which is just the ability to kind of push through the challenging things life throws your way. I think that a fitness plan, an exercise plan helps one fortify that resilience because there's going to be many days that you don't want to do it, but sticking to your plan and habit helps you show up in the face of adversity. And I love how that carries over to life. So a lot of times with my clients, when we're doing resistance training or strength training, I often find that we're building strength and resilience that extends outside of the gym too, which is just the ability to do the hard thing when you don't want to. I think that that's what strong people do. Whether or not they're physically strong at all, the ability to do hard things that oftentimes you don't want to do, I think is the marker of a strong human
0: being. Have you had clients actually explicitly express that to you? Like, I found that training in the gym with you has helped me be more resilient outside the gym.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think like, through the transformation of helping somebody live a healthier life, you communicate to them to reach your ultimate goal, you're going to need to make sacrifices. And that might mean giving up foods that you think are tasty or setting boundaries around people who are not necessarily toxic, but aren't necessarily aligned with you reaching your bigger goals. And you have those communication While you're training somebody, and then they might go home and say, "Hey, I'm not having that tonight, and I'm not putting up with your bullshit." And you know, when they come back to you and tell you, "Hey, you know, I set some really good boundaries around my boss telling me that I need to stay late and miss workouts, and those things," I I find show up actually all the time. And I'm certainly no therapist. I'm definitely not a life coach, but it's always nice when somebody says, "Like, hey, you know, I am prioritizing this, and I'm I'm reorganizing my life to be more aligned with being healthy." um and setting boundaries and so i I see that stuff all the time
0: i think what you just mentioned about people not necessarily being toxic is worth talking about just for a second of all the things you just oh yeah sure um because that's a very uh probably overused phrase it's very popular you know toxic this and toxic that and i think Mm -hmm. what you mentioned about there can be people who aren't toxic but who also aren't helpful kind of like there's a difference between like There's a spectrum of things you could drink between like water and bleach, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like soda. Sure. (laughs) It's not going to kill you immediately, but maybe like having that little drip over time, three, four, 10 years later, you're like, oh man, like what happened to me? And I think relationships are kind of like that too. Yeah.
1: They are. I think we've, we've not wildly, but we've certainly overcorrected from everybody being tough, everybody dealing with their own shit, everybody being, you know, stoic to a a world now where everybody's a victim of some esoteric trauma that nobody else can understand. Nobody's parents loved them enough. Nobody's heard and felt and understand, understood. Everybody needs copious amounts of self-care and everybody who does not actively, you know, um, you know, Give me exactly what I need at any given time is toxic, and I'm cutting them out of my life. like you know i I think that some of that stuff is good in small doses, but I do think we've gotten to a point where people are so quick to label anybody who gives them any kind of dissenting feedback as a toxic human being. Um, and I certainly think there are no shortage of haters and toxic people who do not want to see you succeed because any success that you might accomplish is a direct indication of their inability to get anything done. Those are the people that I think you need to cut out, which are the people who don't want to see you succeed or would happily sabotage you on your road to success because it just kind of shines a light on their inability to get shit done. Um, And just not necessarily cutting those people out from your soapbox of you're toxic and you're out of my life, but you know, like, Hey, don't, don't give them so much time. If people aren't helping you or encouraging you or, you know, giving you feedback that's at least delivered gently and positively with some actionable feedback, they're just shitting on you and generally negative, spend less time around them. You know, like,
0: yeah, those those are the bleach people who are actually trying to kill you.
1: Try it out. Yeah. You're like no more bleach people, substantially less time around the soda people. Hang out as much as you want with the water people. Tell Uh, me how your how tell me
0: how your life feels. There we go. I think think that might work. Instagram post in there somewhere. There's some there. (laughs) Uh yeah. And I think that also speaks to your definition of strength, right? Like you cut out everything that is even remotely challenging, and you will never be resilient, right? You're like, Mm -hmm. boy, that weight was heavy. That's a toxic weight. Like, yeah, exactly. lightweight. Yeah. Like, no, 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 no. And there, there
1: are people out there like that, that, you know, are like, oh, I don't know. I don't, not today. Not today. I don't want to lift that today. And I'm like, all right, well, have fun staying exactly where you're at. Like it does take a little bit of friction in this world to get things going. You can't grow in your comfort zone very much. Um, yeah. and a lot of people are averse to that friction. And sometimes through resistance training or physical fitness, you can expose them to that and teach them that, Hey, you survived that. Look at that. And you're going to be stronger for it. I do think it's a great medium for that, especially as you look at a a world that many people would describe as like increasingly soft. But I, I really think what it is is it's just it is a challenging world to live in. And not everybody was raised in a way that they know how to cope and deal with adversity. And I think that strength training is a or just resistance training, physical fitness in general. It's like a really good vehicle for exposing yourself to voluntary shit that you don't want to do that makes you a little bit more likely to do the tough stuff required to live a good life. I mean, I I don't fucking know. I feel so pretentious for even saying that because I don't have it figured out. Nobody does. But I think in general, being able to do hard things is a good skill to have. And I think in general, fitness pursuits, practices, and habits are a great way to expose oneself To those kinds of things, so that you can build them constructively and actionably, as opposed to just consistently reading self-help books that you do nothing with, which is you know the like the quintessential early two thousands, you know early teens of the new century way of kind of dealing with shit. Like, oh, I read this book, and I have all these tools that I'm not going to use until I use my next Audible token on another regurgitation of the same crap. It's like, have you tried just doing it because that works pretty well
0: yep yep yeah the the self-help book that you didn't take action on is a very good analogy and I agree I I don't think it's pretentious to say that the world is a tough place objectively this is probably the easiest world that human beings have ever lived in like convenience wise and Mm -hmm. safety and risk to bodily harm and just premature death by, you know, raiding tribe standpoint yeah, easiest, you know all easiest world to stay alive in. Hardest yeah, world to stay easily. sane in. But a lot of people, yeah, they, they they don't see challenge as anything but negative. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I agree. I think that's, you know, the, the world doesn't care about us. <laughs> the world is just what it is. And mm-hmm. it's up to us to interpret uh, our circumstances and and everything around us and to see a, a challenge that maybe we've never faced before via a 10 pound PR can only help with that sort of metaphorical, you know, 10 pounds of mental pressure you've never felt. You're like, you know what, this is an opportunity. Last time mm-hmm. I faced a challenge that I've never done, I overcame it. And I believe that made me stronger. Totally.
1: Couldn't agree more. And then again, everything on that spectrum is to at, at first, it's easy, but to reach those highest levels, you have to be systematized, you have to be diligent and you have to be consistent all of which are very very much valuable life skills that bleed into relationships, business, finance, spirituality if you know how to be systematized, systematized, disciplined, show up, follow a plan you know resistance training can teach you that as well in addition to teaching you resilience and helping you conquer the Inner bitch, as it's often called.
0: Yeah. Mark Bell, you know, another Sonoma County guy. uh, Yeah. yeah. He's talked about that and how he's at this point in his life, you know, he's sort of fairly far removed from competitive powerlifting now, even though, you know, 10 years ago he was squatting a thousand pounds. But he, he talks about how he kind of looks around at all his friends and all these people who are extremely impressive. Strength athletes, and how dedicated they are to following their program, like linear periodization and progressive overload and managing their diet and making sure they have the water cut protocol and and they have their whole year planned out for a competition schedule, maybe two years. And he's like, imagine if you did that for your finances, mm-hmm. your marriage, your anything. You're like you you guys could be killing it in every area of life. And and instead you're like, please, you know, I've got to go fund me for new knee sleeves. You're like, what are you doing?
1: I know, man. It's one of the things
0: that has been challenging for me as a fitness professional, which is like,
1: listen, I would love to uh, invest as much time, energy, and effort into the expansion of my physical capabilities, but it's not aligned with my ultimate mission of helping other people experience what it means to expand your physical capabilities, to live pain-free, to lose enough weight to be able to take the vacation to Europe you want. Like I want to share that with people. And what I learned very early is, Going all in on your own fitness pursuits, whether they be athletic in nature, whether they be cosmetic in nature, whether it's the road to the stage or the road to the platform, that requires a tremendous amount of time and energy. And I think a lot of fitness professionals or fitness enthusiasts become entirely absorbed in their own journey. And while I think there are lessons to be learned from going all in on something, if you're unable to carry those lessons over into other elements of your life because you're so damn obsessed with what are ultimately short-term goals that likely won't position you long-term financially, spiritually, emotionally, or relationally to be happy, like if you just want to fucking hug your goddamn stupid little bodybuilding sword trophy for the rest of your life and you want to walk around with that and that's what you have to show. uh, I think you've done yourself a disservice because the habits, behaviors, and things it takes to develop an exceptional physique or incredible strength you can bring, even if you can even bring a fraction of those to other people, you can change the world. And I just, there is a, a mildly self-interested vein of our industry that has always frustrated me. And I've been a, in that vein myself, especially as somebody who found this industry younger, I've I've made all those mistakes. And um, there are so many lessons that you can take from this and apply to other areas of your life that give you extreme leverage to to just live better. If you just zoom out a little bit, and realize, you know, hey, fitness is is a big thing, but it is certainly not the only thing.
0: Are there one or two of those mistakes that you can expand on a little bit where you're like, God, if I had known what I do now, I'd be so far beyond where I'm at.
1: Yeah. Unfortunately, because I found the game young, I got to make the mistakes early and and make the pivots and make the recovery. But You know, I I would say absolutely the first mistake that I think a lot of people make in their fitness is grotesquely misunderstanding the stress adaptation cycle. Like I just felt more working out was better. And if I went six or seven days a week, I'd just grow like a weed. And I probably wasted three to four years of unproductive training and wildly uh, through just wildly wasted hours that I could have probably gotten more strength, more hypertrophy, better consistency by just training four days a week, like not an idiot. But I didn't think that four days a week was enough. So I fell firmly into the all or nothing mentality that a lot of people do when they first find fitness that has been uh, a recovering, or I would say like catching my, or, or getting my feet underneath me after making that mistake has helped prevent me from making the all or nothing mistake in other areas of my life, which is so, so important. And then if I had to think of a second one on the fly, like just a lesson that I've learned through fitness, I would say it's probably for through like working with other people. Um, It's just that you need to be able to communicate effectively and communicating in a way that makes you sound smart or trying to communicate in a way that makes you look smart to other trainers, to other coaches, to other people um is very self-serving and it's not necessarily like aligned with my ultimate mission of helping people be fit so do you want to sound smart or do you want to help people and if you can get your ego out of the way and you know communicate to people in a way that resonates with them that they can actually hear instead of trying to communicate in a way that makes you sound smart you'll probably change a lot more lives a lot quicker so those are like probably the two fuck-ups that i go oh fuck man if i could just like run that back again I'd probably just train four days a week <laughs> and instead of trying to like sound smart, I'll just tell people what they need to hear, how they need to hear it. And like, I I don't necessarily regret those things every day, but I do laugh at that guy when I see him in my camera role, when I go back four or five years go, like, Oh my God, that guy thought he really knew what he was doing, but he was so stupid.
0: The, the episode prior to this conversation we're having now in terms of release order was with Shante Cofield. And she was talking about this concept of empathic listening, (laughs) which the definition is listening to others with the intention of understanding them as they want to be understood, Mm -hmm. which I think is sort of the only way to then follow up and communicate to them what will actually help. And yeah, you're, you're hundred percent right. there's a big difference between communicating so that you sound smart and communicating so that you're telling other people what they actually want to hear and not Mm -hmm. need to hear, but like, what you think they need to hear, what they think they need to hear is that man, that's a game changer as a coach, as a business person in in a relationship, all that stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. So those are mistakes that you made that mm-hmm. now that everyone Just listening has heard them. Can, some we'll of make, them I've, I've yeah. <laughs> made many, I've made many more. <laughs> so uh, one of the things, the other things I wanted to ask you about was, and you mentioned this earlier in terms of, like kind of some of the comparison traps that people make in terms of, uh, you know, thinking that if someone else is is doing something better than them, that somehow that's like a, a personal fault of theirs, or maybe even sure. it's a person trying to make them feel bad. Sure. You made a great post recently uh, on Instagram about five things you want every single one of your clients to understand. And I think mm-hmm. one of them was that just because someone else is making progress faster than they are, that does not indicate a personal failure of any kind.
1: Yeah, that's actually a regurgitation of a Charlie Munger quote, which is somebody else getting rich faster than you is hardly a tragedy, Mm -hmm. which I think just comes down to this like foundational component of being human and this organization of this 250,000 year old brain that works on this resource bias that if somebody has more acorns than me They are going to do better. Like, we have this just unbelievable computational ability in our reptilian brain to turn everything into a scoreboard, whether it's somebody's fitness, the square footage of somebody's house. And the fact of the matter is, people are at different spots along the way. And if you stop and look at the scoreboard, it hardly gives you the context of the whole game. And other people are allowed to be successful in their fitness. Other people are allowed to have better physiques than you. Other people are allowed to have better genetics than you. Other people are allowed to have a schedule that's more aligned with sticking to their nutrition and fitness than you. And the situation that they are in isn't an indictment of your ability to reach your goals. And focusing on that is one of the most futile things that you you can do. And I find that, uh, you know, an intent focus on how much better other people have it is usually a harbinger of going absolutely fucking nowhere. So, you know, this notion that somehow, some way, like somebody else's success is in any way, shape, or form impacting my ability to find success is something that I think a lot of people struggle with in the fitness space and beyond. Uh, But just the idea that, hey, Other people's progress should either inspire you, motivate you, or inform you in some way. It should in no way, shape, or form knock the train off the rails. Allow other people to be successful. Allow other people to have a nicer physique than you. Allow other trainers to have more clients than you. Allow other fitness professionals to have more followers than you and see what happens. Just allow yourself to be on your own journey and allow other people to be successful without thinking that in any way that has a reflection on you. Like if you just sit around and sulk with that, you'll get nowhere. It's if nothing else, an indicator of what can happen for you. If perhaps you find a way to align as much as you can in your life with reaching your goal. And so that's something I've always told clients, just don't worry about where other people are at. Focus on your own shit,
0: your, your own shit. What are some of the other things that you try and instill in as many clients as possible?
1: Yeah, I think the most like obvious one, the thing that pops right into my mind is is play the long game. I think it's the just philosophical approach to life that I like. It's something that I, I'm a big fan of when it comes to things like personal finance. Like uh, The recipe for getting rich in the 21st century is about as simple as investing $1,200 a month into the S&P 500 and allowing 100 years of consistent, stable returns to do what they've done consistently and stably for about 25 to 30 years. And you can guarantee yourself millionaire status at $1,200 a month if you just let the market do what it does. And so something that I've often told clients is like, listen, if you are capable of Sitting down, identifying your goal and giving yourself a long enough time period to reach it, baking in multiple stops along the way for the inevitable fuck ups that will occur, I can guarantee you almost 100% likelihood of achieving your goals, but it will take longer than you think. But if you give yourself that additional time, the like probability of failure goes down drastically. If you give yourself some artificial constraint or some, you know, phony deadline that quite frankly doesn't exist when we talk about something as lifelong as physical fitness, like you're going to set yourself up for feeling like you failed. So I always try to instill in clients to zoom out to the longest term possible goal that they have and work backwards from there.
0: It's like the, uh, I think it's the TurboTax commercial that's going around right now, where the the guy who's is investing in crypto and he keeps being like, I'm a millionaire. I'm not a millionaire. I'm a millionaire. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh, I'm not a millionaire, right? He's like at the club and yeah. he's like back at work and then he's packing up his desk and then he's putting everything back in the drawers. I, like, feel like, I feel like, I just feel like
1: crypto is like a perfect, like, I don't want to say perfect because like there are some like, I think one could look at crypto and be like, okay, there are some like noble and like unique things that this brings to the table in a v- like finance system that has always been stacked against like, Joe every man. And that is obviously filled with, you know, good old boys. There's so many gatekeepers and, and, you know, in America, the banking and finance system is heavily skewed in favor of those who already have wealth. So like yeah. crypto def crypto, definitely is like not all bad, but like most of these shit coins are nothing more than the fucking dog shit diets and supplements that people hype you up on that. They're just trying to make a quick turn and burn on. Like, whether it's there, there, are so many ways in which like fad diets and fad supplements are marketed to people who don't know any better by people who do know better and know that well this isn't exactly what I did to get in shape, but I can make a quick profit on it. I'm like, how is that any fucking different than shitcoin sixty nine or jizz rocket or like these are real coins that people are like, hey, let's just sell this to people who don't know any better and make as much money as we can until there's
0: regulation here. Yeah, I'm gonna rent. A, I'm gonna rent a mansion. And launch a Bitcoin and make one video with like six drones. That's all it is. Then I might be able to buy this mansion off all y'all suckers.
1: Yeah. And Crypto is big enough that they don't need, you know, D-list celebrity fitness inspo endorsements. They get fucking Steph Curry and LeBron James and Matt Damon out here to tell you to buy... Shitcoin or go on crypto.com or FTX and make an account and buy all these speculative assets that none of my fucking money's in, certainly not a good amount of it. And uh, yeah, see what happens. You know, it's like, you know, a celebrity endorsement and the pro the, the 1% possibility of unbelievably rapid results in fitness or unbelievably rapid results in the accretion of wealth is still extremely tantalizing to the average person.
0: Perfect segue into another question I wanted to ask you. So You, you made another post recently and it was talking about the idea of a, uh, the difference between the concept of a quote unquote best diet versus best dietary practices. What's the difference?
1: So like when I think about what most people need nutritionally, like I feel that it actually becomes quite simple. The general population would benefit from not drinking caloric laden beverages, drinking more fluids eating more plants, eating more protein, eating less processed food. Those are dietary practices that I think are generally applicable for a massive swath of the population, 90 plus percent. There are people who exist on the fringe that will need to make substantially greater adjustments to their dietary practices to live the healthiest life possible. But for most people, if you just said, okay, new rule, you can only eat processed food, twice a week. You can only eat fast food once a week. The rest of the shit that you eat is going to be mostly cooked from home, mostly plants, mostly whole grains, mostly high quality animal proteins, have some protein shakes in there. Just got to make sure you get enough protein and drink tons of water, stop drinking sugary drinks. Can you do that? That would change 90% of people's health prognosis positively. And if everybody in America did that it would be far and away the healthiest country in the world with the lowest cumulative BMI. And it's just so motherfucking complicated for people to grasp that those practices are essentially the underpinnings of every fad diet that people use for weight loss. Oh yeah. You like keto? I bet you like it and lose weight on it because it's mostly protein and mostly vegetables. Oh, you like vegan? I bet it works well because it's a shit ton of fibrous, rich plant food. That's very nutritious. Oh my gosh. Carnivore works for you. Funny what happens when you eat mostly protein. It's like, okay. All of these things are very constrictive and hard to stick to, but there are some themes here that seem to be relatively consistent. Can we just like pull out the themes? Because none of these diets are effective, in my opinion, at that population level. And so to say that any one of them is the best would only ever be applicable for the context of one human being. For whom I bet my fucking ass if they said carnivore is the best diet ever for me, I'd say maybe it is the best diet ever for you. But like, have you eaten a fucking piece of fruit? Because even the main carnivore dude whose name I can never fucking remember. But um, the main, thank you. Even that fool eats fruit now. He knows he was. I'm not going to say he knew he was full of shit, but he knew that he probably could have gotten away with eating some fruit because guess what? It's fruit. And it's like, oh, now you eat a mostly protein rich diet with fruit. Holy shit, dude. If everybody did that we'd all be insanely fit and healthy and well and getting probably enough fiber to take a regular shit. And I know that you can dance around the fiber conversation with the carnivore people the same way you can dance around the fucking B12 conversation with the vegan people. It really just comes down to the fact that like, hey, mostly protein or or a good amount of protein and a lot of plants with tons of water and not so much processed food is like very, very simple from a practices standpoint. And I think that works better than trying to identify what what, what most people do, which is trying to identify what is the best of these, you know, multiple fad diets for me. And and people operate from a place where they're, they're oftentimes searching for a diet. They're not even searching for nutrition.
0: We're taking a quick break from the show to tell you about our partner on today's episode, and then we'll be right back to the conversation with Danny. Our partner this week is the Enduring Strength training platform. Enduring Strength is my online training platform built for the intermediate lifter or gym goer who is tired of doing the same routine and getting the same results month after month, year after year. If you are committed to the gym but feel your routine is getting stale, then Enduring Strength is for you. I built this training platform to address three common fitness goals. Gaining strength, building muscle, and improving endurance and conditioning. Enduring strength cycles through five-week training blocks designed to prioritize each of these goals individually, which allows for year-round progress. No two training blocks are ever the same, meaning that every five weeks you get a completely refreshed plan. Your workouts will never be stale again, and those plateaus that you've hit, you will blast past them with enduring strength. Registration for Enduring Strength will be opening again on Monday, May 30th, which makes right now the perfect time to get your free two week trial plan. All you have to do is shoot an email to david at strongerinmotion.com and you'll receive a link to the Enduring Strength platform with eight free workouts. If you're ready for your free trial or would simply like more information about the Enduring Strength Training platform, Again, just send me an email, david at strongerinmotion.com, and you can check the show notes for even more details. Okay, let's get back to the show. That last bit, I mean, everything you said there was fantastic. That last little bit is so pertinent, though, because similar to exercise plans, right, where people are looking for, you know, Google headline best exercise routine ever, but they don't care why Like they're not actually thinking about their personal goals. And the idea of like, what does keto even mean? Mm -hmm. Like what, you know, most, I don't think most people really understand it. I think they just think it's maybe high fat or something, or that means they can't have bread, uh, you know, or whatever they're eating. They think they're eating low carb when they're just eating tons of vegetables. You're like, those are carbs. like. White bread is not the only carb and neither is donuts. So yeah, I think, man, so important. Like the, the nutrition industry, similar to the healthcare industry and fitness is like, it is a business, right? People working in healthcare, nutrition and fitness need to make a living. But if the point is to make money and that takes precedent over helping people get healthy or fit, then that's an issue. Totally, and
1: I, I couldn't agree more like so many people our, our nutritional literacy is, is theoretically should be built on our foundational understanding of a few basic things, which of course we don't teach children, but like most people who do keto don't know what it is. Most people who do veganism don't have some ethical flag that they're planting. I, I totally respect that. most people are making largely misinformed decisions about their health because somebody who's also misinformed communicated that to them and they have built a narrative around these things that might be entirely fictitious and completely, completely misinformed. Uh, you know, I, I know, I know people who think they are keto that eat carbohydrates, like, like, like that And is inherently and theoretically like hard to do, like, unless the carbohydrates you eat are like in single tiny, like one gram servings, like It just shows that most people really don't even have a target that they're aiming at. They're just spraying. They're just hoping something lands and they're just using terms. And like, that's why I say like, like let's shift away from diets and and towards these foundational practices and components of human nutrition that are the bedrock of what most fit, healthy, successful people do, whether they try to reskin it and package it as a diet or not.
0: Yep frustrating man, frustrating, frustrating stuff. It's so much simpler than we've made it out to be same with training. Yeah. It really you know. is, but it takes that long-term approach. Like it's kind of, yeah, not, I'm not even like, I mean, we could go back to the crypto example, but I feel like most people are trying to hit the diet lottery.
1: I, it's, it's kind of the same. It's just like, okay, you can do that for your whole life. And the mathematical probability of you hitting it are fucking as dog shit. And you know what people like say about the lottery? 70
0: times less than getting struck by lightning. <laughs>
1: they, say, they say that the lottery is a tax on stupid people. And that's exactly what it is. And I don't mean that to sound condescending and pretentious. I really don't. Like I have played the mega millions. And you know what I thought when I went and bought that ticket? What the fuck am I doing? I know <laughs> the odds of winning the lottery are dog shit. But we all get caught in the hype and the fomo which is like a new societal experience that social media makes like 10 times worse but yeah if you're trying to win the diet lottery the odds of you losing are substantially higher than you winning if if you know you just look at mathematical probability which is another thing people are absolutely horrible at
0: so i think this speaks and you and you've touched on this a couple times sort of the the separation between working off of um, motivation Mm -hmm, versus mm -hmm. working off of a foundation of discipline. I think, you know, there's, you have to be on some level motivated to start. Mm -hmm. Um, but then like fairly quickly that needs to shift towards discipline by like 5%, 10% until you're, you're heavily skewed in that discipline realm. Can you speak to why you think that's so important? Yeah.
1: As a relatively unmotivated person, I think I can, you know, I'm, I'm not particularly motivated to do a particularly high number of things. Um, you know, my mood is mm, like skews slightly more like on the, like highly energized slash moderately depressive scale. Like I would skew towards being like moderately pessimistic, Slightly depressive at times, not highly motivated to you know, move mountains. So I'm nothing special. and I, I can I can speak from experience and say that like much like a video game where your character has like attack button a, attack button b item on the trigger. And like when you work up this small meter high enough, you can go beast mode for like ten seconds and do two times the amount of damage. And it's like, okay, That little meter is motivation. It will refill slowly. And when you use it, it will give you like a little bit of power, but you still got to play the game. You still got to play the game. It'll refill down the road. But if you only wait to fight or play the game or try to advance in the game, when you're in beast mode, you're going to die on level one. So, you know, motivation or discipline is not, in my opinion, the way to look at it. It's discipline. And then when motivation comes along, fucking hit that button, go beast mode, you know, maybe do two, three weeks worth of work in a week and then get right back on your grind. Motivation can be the best tool in your toolbox to get you started, to get over a hurdle, to, you know, really get stuff done. And I don't think we should demonize it. But if you're sitting around wondering like, man, when's that motivation going to come back so I can take action? you know, remember that that's like a, a, it's a silly analogy, but it's like a gauge in a video game. It needs time to build up. Motivation is fleeting. It's tied to myriad of things beyond my understanding of human psychology. What motivates people can be like wildly different and absurd. And so if you're just sitting around waiting for that, you're, you're kind of fucking yourself. So if you can just say like, okay, I need to identify the bare ass minimum that I can apply towards this goal when I don't want to do it. Like that's, what's kind of worked well for me And like, I feel like social media is a good example, like in theory, like what I do every day is I try to conceptualize one thought and turn it into a post. And a lot of times those thoughts aren't very good, Um, but sometimes they are. And when they are, and I get the feedback that they are, that actually generates more motivation. And so when I wasn't motivated to make content because my content sucked, I just said, oh, my content sucks. I'll do it when I am motivated." I'd actually never make good content. So I think what it really you never is, make it's any like any content, <laughs> none, just, just find something you can do on the days that you're the least motivated to do something and set that as your bare ass minimum. And if that's your floor, if your floor is above zero, it'll be substantially better than hoping that you have this high ceiling. It's a lot like football or fantasy football, which I play, uh, you know, which is like, Hey, At multiple points throughout this theoretical pretend draft where you're drafting players who might do well for you in this stupid little game, you're always choosing between guys who have a high floor or a high ceiling. And if you construct a team of guys that are all high floor, you'll do pretty good, but you won't win the championship. If you construct a team full of guys that are all high ceiling, you might win some weeks by a lot, but you also lose by a lot because they'll bust a lot. You need to create a perfect team of just the right amount of high floor and high ceiling players to win. And in life, and in in these habits that we're trying to either make stick or use as vehicles to ultimately drive a means to an end, you're going to have days that are high floor or high ceiling, and you're going to have days that are hopefully high floor. If your floor is zero, if when you don't have motivation, you do nothing, you're fucked. But if you're one of those people who are like, look, man, I've got it set up. So even on the days that I don't have a lot of juice, I know what I can do to still keep the ball rolling oh my God, when you layer in like the occasional day where you have that rocket fuel, you'll get really far. But just set yourself up so that you have a floor that's higher than zero. And when the motivation comes along, slam the button. I think you'll be good. That's my opinion on it, which again, pretentious as it sounds, I think works.
0: No, but you, I mean, what can you speak to other than personal experience? And then also what you've tried to instill in the people you work with and you've seen work, right? It's like anecdotal evidence is, is, is pretty important. And I'm sure you could find a self-help book to read that would outline yeah. most of what you just said. And I, I've read them all.
1: That. I've read them all, dude. I went through my fucking Tony Robbins phase and I'm like, that dude's soft. Then I went through my Jordan Peterson phase. And now I think that dude's a fucking idiot. And really what it comes down to is like, okay. This stuff is good for you at different stops in your life. And your receptivity to it is highly correlated to your worldview. At the end of the day, you got to do it. (laughs) You got to do it. You can read them all, but you got to do it.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm Always, right. You can always tie it back to training. Like squats are great unless, you know, until you're like, I want to compete in like a competitive kettlebell, like 10 minute, you know, snatch test. You're like, well, then you got to stop doing one rep. Squats, like you gotta grab the kettlebell. You know, yeah. Tony Robbins is good <laughs> until you, you know, you need some stoicism, right? And you yep. got, then you got then you gotta grab the Ryan Holiday because you're not gonna get it from Tony Robbins.
1: Right.
0: You know, we talked earlier about not comparing yourself to others, except mm-hmm. to, you know, have them potentially motivate you or inform your decisions, maybe mm-hmm. inspire you a little bit. Sure. And I, I do think there's a benefit to what you were just saying about keeping your floor high, even <laughs> if your floor is like one,
1: <laughs> sure, zero, sure. Anything's better there than are zero. so
0: many people at zero most a of lot. the time. And yes. if your goal is to get ahead in life, whatever that mm-hmm. means, whatever you're, and I would encourage people to like sit down and actually have some deep thought about what does success mean for you? It, you know, whether it is financial or it's time freedom or being a great parent or being jacked as hell right um sticking at 1 and not letting yourself get to 0 will move the needle and life is inevitably competitive right mm-hmm. it just is we're like, still an there's animal there's which always, people yeah, have a yeah. tendency there's to the, forget I, i'm i'm in a little bit of a jordan peterson phase right now just like getting through the 12 rules for life
1: yeah and don't get me wrong i don't hate jordan peterson i don't and, and i like like I have read his 12 rules for life. I haven't read it. I've audibled his 12 rules for life and I've consumed almost every podcast he's ever ever produced. And I find so much of what he says to be valuable. But I also find that it lacks nuance. And when I, as a 27-year-old dude, go to my client and tell them that their personal responsibility is the only thing standing between them and their success, I have been, uh, shall I say, schooled By adults who have different lives and situations than me telling me that, listen, motherfucker, there's more to life than personal responsibility, to which I have had the pleasure of saying, I've, you know, stepped away from this and and learned that, yeah, there there are some things that aren't in my immediate control. But I do, I do, I do like Jordan and I do like the notion of of personal responsibility, ultimately on the road to creating a, the best life that you can. Um, But you know, there are some things we can't control not to go off. On oh the yeah.
0: No, no. It's uh, like, he, he's a good person to have in your like, uh, uh, social psychology tool belt. You're yes. like this person that I'm talking to right now clearly doesn't think they have any personal response, like personal responsibility and everything is not their fault. Like I need to pull out, I need to be mm-hmm. my, my Jordan Peterson today. Totally. the person who's like, has a bunch of stuff going on in their life. Like I know what I can control. Um, right now it's, right now it's, uh, my kids are really, you know, they're demanding a lot of my attention and you're, you can't be like, just make yourself. your bed, yourself, Junior. Bro. just <laughs> make your bed. Okay.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I, I guess part of what like skewed me and I'm not even, no, I'm not going to go
0: there. That's not, don't worry about it. I was going to, I was just going to bring up the, um, I think it's chapter one where he talks about the lobsters. Yeah. The that's, lobster. that's the hierarchy
1: of the lobster
0: yeah yeah the lo-
1: like the lobster
0: yeah stand up straight with your you know and like have your claws up <laughs> and like sometimes you need to look big and that will actually help you like get a mate and like probably get a promotion
1: that's simple guys <laughs> just make your bed and fucking turn into a lobster and if you can't do that you'll go nowhere
0: yeah man just pinch that motherfucker don't get out of your way <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> Uh, I, I have one more, one more question about something you shared recently on Instagram and okay. that was a post recently that is a little more maybe on the stoic side of things possibly, sure. or at least could be interpreted that way. And that was something you shared about uh, making health a priority
1: mm-hmm. and
0: and either choosing to make your health a priority, but like assuming that someone is healthy, sure, making it a priority to stay that way. Mm-hmm. Or eventually becoming sick and being forced, like, at some point, no matter what, it's inevitable, possibly uh, terribly inevitable, that we will all prioritize our health. But yeah, we have a choice of right? like to win and how, right?
1: So, like, yeah, we're all going to die. We all got that down. We, we're all eventually going to reach the same destination. And hopefully we reach that destination peacefully at old age with good health, surrounded by people we love as we gently fall to sleep and we don't wake up. But most people don't die that way. Unfortunately, most people die of preventable illnesses or illnesses that are oftentimes highly correlated with lifestyle decisions. And I I like that quote because it speaks to the idea of where things fall on a prioritization like framework or ladder. And I think if you spent your whole life with your health being a top five priority, you can, pre- you can prevent being you know, in a position where your health is your only priority because you're fighting for survival. And so if you take rudimentary care of yourself over the course of your life by focusing on these practices that we've talked about nutritionally and some movement practices to help you maintain and fortify your health, you can avoid being in that horrific situation where you get a diagnosis that then that is your life. Your life is now fighting this illness. That is priority number one. And my dad was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease at 46 years old. He can't walk anymore. He got a horrible hand dealt to him. And he was. My dad's side, so his sister's husband, was a physical therapist for 20 years. He was eating grape nuts, organic, non GMO, high protein, grass fed shit before it was fucking cool. And he died of bone marrow cancer in his 60s. Not everything is preventable and healthy people get horrifyingly unfortunate diagnoses all the time, but that's the very, very rare exception to the rule. Most people who get diagnoses that change their health forecast for the essentially rest of their life are getting, for, are getting diagnoses that are heavily correlated with the lifestyle decisions that they've made. And so I like to think that a little bit of movement and a little bit of nutritional competency in the earliest part of my life will hopefully help me push those kinds of diagnoses or battles off altogether, or at least down the road. Um, but the idea that you can avoid them altogether is, is, is uh, misguided. You will have to pay the piper. It will come a knock And so if you don't make it at least, let's say an arbitrary number here, top five priority in your life, your health and nutrition, I could almost guarantee that you will have a period of your life where fighting for the quality and duration of your life becomes a number one priority, which if you have no experience prioritizing that at all, what a fucking miserable life that is. Oh, you know, I made it to 60 and I had catastrophic liver damage from drinking my whole life. And now here I am sitting having to entirely reorder how I eat. I have to start exercising for the first time and I can no longer indulge in this, you know, habit that I'm entirely physiologically addicted to. That's going to fucking suck way more than any tiny ass sacrifice you make with your diet or moving. And it's like, listen, I have seen this. I have seen people suffer through this when they didn't have the choice. You do. Mm-hmm. Don't, I don't want you to suffer like that. It's horrible. It's terrible to watch. It's not fun. Like, I know it kills my dad every day, knowing that when I was in high school, we couldn't shoot hoops, we couldn't play catch, he couldn't go to games. That was hard for him. And he did nothing to deserve that. But it can come a knock in any fucking time. And you never know when it's going to come a knock. But you can really, really make it less likely that it comes to your door if you do a few simple things on the front end. So I try to remind people of that as much as I can.
0: Yeah. Similarly, my dad was diagnosed with MS in 2014, Mm -hmm. likely has had it for likely had it for 30 years prior to actually being diagnosed. Again, Mm -hmm. That's not really a lifestyle related disease, but I think it's important to realize that, you know, for your dad, for my dad, for people in these situations, cancer is different can- because cancer can be so rapidly, um, sure. life altering and, and rob people of so many years of life. Totally. Um, Parkinson's MS more often rob people of quality of life for an extended period of time, unfortunately, which I, there's an argument for what's better, what's worse, but we don't have totally. to go there. Um, but, you know, I'm thankful. And I know that my dad and my brother and my mom are thankful that it wasn't MS on top of. Right now heart disease, diabetes. Like there's a reason that my dad has not probably had a ton of like relapses in his MS and that he's still relatively mobile and that he doesn't need a full-time caretaker. Right. And that he can do almost everything for himself.
1: And right? when he got, got that diagnosis, a lot, of,
0: lot, a lot of lifestyle stuff on top of the unavoidable.
1: Yeah. And, and, and this is the thing. Some people get a diagnosis and they rise to the occasion. Some people get a diagnosis and they become a victim of their circumstances, if you get diagnosed with Parkinson's disease and MS, it's not the end of your life. There are things you can do, but you immediately have to prioritize those things. There are people who get diagnosed with diabetes who continue to just do what they do. There are people who have diabetes that don't know they have diabetes because they probably know they have diabetes, but they have no interest in getting a diagnosis and treatment because changing their lifestyle is very, very hard. And so I think that like essentially what the, the message there is, is you're going to be asked to rise to the occasion one day or another. Um, and if you choose to rise to the occasion voluntarily, you might not get called out down the road. And so you can either start fighting now or you can fight like hell down the road. But if you have to fight like hell down the road and you never fought before, you're probably going to get knocked on your fucking ass.
0: Yeah. That is a great way to put it. Absolutely great way to put it. Urgency. Like there's such an urgency, you know, people skip the gym, they skip, Cooking, they skip grocery shopping. Very few people skip chemo. Right? Nope. Because it's like, I gotta, I'm gonna die. Right.
1: What's the alternative? And you could make the argument that the alternative for skipping these things voluntarily in your youth is setting you up for a date with disaster down the road. And yeah. so I and I and again, not all these things I, I you can't forecast perfectly. There are always outliers, but the general Life's uh, like the general life trajectory for a sedentary human being who does not put much effort or energy into the maintenance of their health is not a trajectory that I'd like to align myself with personally.
0: Agreed. So, speaking of all these, these lifestyle things that can improve the trajectory of my life, your life, everyone listening's life, I want to move to the closing question for the day. Do it. Uh, and that do it. is for you, Danny. So this being the essential strength podcast, we start with your personal definition of strength in closing. What are three essential elements of your day-to-day life? Little routines, activities, or habits that you try not to go a day without. Okay. So I have a dog I have a, I have a dog and that dog
1: loves me unconditionally. And I try to every day for at least 60 seconds, when he is laying on the ground with his butt in the air, wiggling his little nubtail, I try to get down on his level and transfer. This sounds really hippy dippy, but it's not through my hands to his little head by rubbing his body and, and telling him I love him. I try to transfer unconditional love to that animal who is showing it to me. So I think one thing I try to go every day, or one thing I don't go without every day, is giving genuine true, passionate love to either something as simple as my animal or my girlfriend or my friends, I try to pause, take a break and realize that like that transfer of genuine emotion, whether it's from person to person or person to dog, like that's what life is all about. And if you're not taking time or making time for that, you know, you're not experiencing everything that life has to offer. So I try to slow down, show affection, and and really live in the moment with those simple things. That's something I do every day with my dog. I literally stop and I'll be like, has it been a minute yet? No, keep rubbing that motherfucker's belly. He deserves it. He loves you unconditionally. Live in that space. Do that. Something else I try to do every single day is like, I try to identify moments where I'm like, I don't want to do this. So for example, yesterday, I was helping somebody move some furniture, and then I had to go back by the studio, and on my way back by the studio, I saw the UPS truck dropping off these lockers that I ordered. And I was like, fuck, I can stop right now and assemble those, or I can wait and do it tomorrow. And one of the things I try to do like specifically is catch myself in those moments and go, no, go do it now. And so something I try to do every day is specifically find a task that theoretically could wait to be done tomorrow and do it today the old benjamin franklin quote of don't put off till tomorrow what can be done today those are things and i would say like exercise but truthfully i don't exercise every day i would say eat healthy but truthfully i don't eat healthy every day but a health practice that i do try to commit to every day that sometimes can be a workout is getting outside being outside, whether that be playing golf, whether that be taking the dog for a walk, whether that be just getting some sun um, those are some those are those are three things that I would say that I do every single day that make my life a little better
0: get outside don't put off for tomorrow what could be done today and love someone or something unconditionally for at least sixty seconds
1: it's one minute it's amazing what that does to my mood and I know yeah. I'm in my room right now and my room's full of garbage that dog Dog is sitting outside that fucking door right now waiting for me to open it and he's going to roll over on his belly the minute I get off and I'm going to rub his belly and he's going to be the happiest guy on earth and I get to re- like it, when you realize how simple it is and how little effort and energy it takes to change the mood of a, any animal whether it's a dog or a human you live your life like a little bit differently because if I can do that for him with one minute like And one smile at the grocery store goes a long way, you know, like one door being held open for somebody goes a long way. I think it just starts a cascade of me being a less shitty person. So I try to try to get that done every day.
0: Right on, man. Hey, I appreciate your time. Appreciate the conversation. Um, You know, the amount of thought you clearly put into all your answers, right? None of this is just shallow. This is legitimately wanting to express ideas.
1: throwing it at you from... Wherever it's coming from this morning, it's probably the two espresso shots I had.
0: Bingo. Wow, man, that dog's going to get the best He's belly rub of ag- his life. Ag- <laughs> Aggre- aggressive belly rubs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He might ask you to stop. Uh, <laughs> all right, dude, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit the stop button, but uh, hopefully we can do this again sometime. Yeah, dude, anytime. Happy to uh, pop on. Hello again. It's David back to wrap things up and tell you what's coming up next week on the essential strength podcast. Remember, if you're enjoying this podcast, be sure you're subscribed and that you're sharing these episodes with your friends and family who would appreciate what we're talking about on a week to week basis. You can tag the show on Instagram at essential strength podcast, and you can tag me, your friendly host at Dr. David Skolnick DPT. And don't forget to check out our partners that made today's episode possible, Strong Coffee. You can check out strongcoffee.com and save 15% off of every purchase with the code ESSENTIAL at checkout and the Enduring Strength Training platform. If you are tired of doing the same workouts and getting the same results, if you are ready for a training plan that will get you strong and healthy now and for the long run, send me an email. David at StrongerInMotion.com Today's conversation included some very important and, dare I say, profound moments. A few key pieces to remember. Fitness is a big thing, but it's not the only thing. Avoid falling prey to the all-in mentality. Communicating to sound smart and communicating to help people are two different things. Fitness requires long term investment. And comparing your journey to anyone else's is a futile pursuit. That's a wrap for this week's episode, but make sure to tune in next week when I'm going to be doing a solo episode taking a deeper dive into the differences between personal training, group coaching, and following a training plan. You'll learn which of these three options is likely best for you how to weigh both the financial and fitness sides of the decision. And for the coaches and trainers listening, you'll learn how to create offers that target all three levels of this fitness business continuum. Until then, we wish you strength and good health.